What is going on, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Running and Gunning Podcast with your host, Justin Sinan. We are stoked to have y'all joining us today. we got an awesome episode lined up. This one's going to be a lot of uh, in-depth stuff for transitioning out of summer time frame, getting into that fall range, uh, you know, what you should be looking for, trying to set up new scrape areas. I know that's going to be my main tactic this year is just running scrapes everywhere and really uh, letting my camera soak and uh, just, you know, going to do a lot more hanging hunts this year, maybe without even running cameras. And uh, I think we'll get into that approach we have Travis Malochik joining us again from PA. Uh, Travis is a good buddy of mine. Um, always a wealth of knowledge. It's gonna be a gonna be a great podcast. So uh, get out your notebooks, uh, sit back, and hope you enjoy this one. What's going on, Travis? What's going on today? Yeah, I'm back. Your favorite cold region asshole here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm doing good, man. I'm just excited for the season, getting pumped up, running cameras, finally doing pulls and getting and, and enjoying what I see on the cameras. Yes, so, sir. Finally coming to fruition. I know a lot of guys uh, might not know, it, but Travis uh, is out there literally all season running cameras, uh, you know, making scrapes. You don't just make scrapes. And I don't know, some of you guys, uh, some of our newer listeners might not know, but Travis uh, has a great episode. It's called The Year-Round Approach to Running Scrapes. It's a, it's a great one. Um, we're going to try not to just regurgitate that kind of stuff and get into what he's doing new this year. And, you know, I think it's a great time-related uh, tactic because a lot of us are, you know, the beans are starting to yellow up a little bit in some areas. I know uh, the corn is, is pretty much dead yellow, uh, most of it around here. We've just been experiencing a pretty major drought and. It just feels like fall to me, dude. Um, just looking out today, it really felt like deer season. Trees are starting to turn. So, yeah, and, yeah, uh, a few leaves are starting to turn here. The couple uh, trees are starting to drop their leaves. I noticed the other morning when I got out in the morning, walked out, saw my breath. I got that smell in the air. It's like, oh, 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 something's moving in the shorts. Let's go, fall. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> yeah, we had a we had a nice little tease, dude, right before season kicked off, and I was like, oh. it was terrible, man, because I was like, I mean, this I had a couple cell cams out, they're blowing up with activity. I'm like, this is the mm -hmm. kind of stuff we need, and then here comes opener, and it's 95 degrees. It's been oh man, that heat wave did. It's been everywhere too, right? It's been hot in PA, and oh, oh, absolutely, man. The last week uh, since. Sunday, it's been high 80s, low 90s. It just, it really took the wind out of my sails. Like, I was getting excited with those cool mornings, and then this shit happened. I was just like, oh, oh no. man. I feel like a, a bit of a, a, a sperm waste, if I'll say. Um, <laughs> I have not been out hunting yet. I've, I just, uh, I haven't really, I did a ton of scouting leading up to season um, in a lot of places, and I just couldn't find what I was really looking for, man. Like, the, the couple bucks I did find uh, that had my uh, interest, you know, one of them was a booner. Um, I just couldn't get permission on. So what do you do, right? I tried everything. I tried all, pulling all kinds of different resources. Mm -hmm. It just didn't work out. So I'm moving yes. on. Um, and I think, I think a lot of people, like, you know, might look at it and be like, oh, why didn't you just go? For me, I think this year, just time-related-wise, like, it's been so freaking hot. I've already been glassing the areas that I can glass. Uh, mm -hmm. 
And the wind just hasn't been right for me to throw an observation sit where I want to. And I just feel like, you know, maybe I'm getting older, getting a little smarter. I think, you know, as, as early as our season opens up, dude, I got tons of time. Um, and it is what it is. It's it's hard to scout a velvet buck, you know. They don't really lay down size. Yeah. Um, and, and they're yeah, finally starting to I'm... peel out of velvet. So I think, you know, it should be – it's going to be awesome – I'm leaving for my elk hunt in a couple of days. And I think when I get back from that, man, it's going to be full on boots to the ground. Uh, I'm just going to start scouting until I find what I want. And then I'm going to throw some sits. Yeah, buddy, go after that hot sign uh, right off the bat. Start getting aggressive with it. Yeah. I mean, like, that's kind of what I wanted to, to have you on, dude. Um, I look at, I look up to you uh, as uh, my, my scrape master buddy, uh, you know, <laughs> and um i really wanted to get your spin so i think this year i'm gonna try to travel with a camera in my backpack instead of mm -hmm. just placing a camera at all these different pieces of public and maybe when i find that sign that i'm like oh okay not only am i gonna throw a sit but i'm gonna throw a camera in those places that i feel like is a high probability spot and i think that's gonna be oh, absolutely yeah a lot more valuable than just, uh, you know, making a mock scrape and letting it sit. Cause I did that last year in many places and it just wasn't active, dude. Like it just didn't really have much activity until, you know, like mid November to like even early November, they just wasn't really, uh, you know, that much activity on it. And I was thinking to myself, like, where did I go wrong here? Um, I mean, I mean, it could have been several things. It might not have been the right spot. I mean, it's location, location, location with scrapes, first and foremost. Um, like I said, deeper into cover, right on the edge of thick stuff, uh, security cover where you're looking at bedding areas, right outside of bedding areas, and thick, nasty transition cover between bedding areas is your best spot for uh, when you find a scrape there to overmarket right. or you could go ahead and uh if you find a heavy intersection back in that security cover you could put uh, a mock scrape right at that intersection there because deer are going to travel through there no matter what and if you put uh, a licking branch there with some scent on it and dirt work in the ground and like i said create the whole illusion of deer using that they're going to just naturally put their face up in it and, and deposit scent just out of curiosity and by that time, the next deer comes by and goes, okay, well, I know so-and-so hit it, but there's this other deer on there. And then it's just, you know, a snowball effect. Um, yeah. That's the you, way I Why don't you kind of like paint a picture for us, like on, you know, you know, just kind of a refresher, like what is your go-to? All right. So like we're walking in, we find this good sign. You know, mm -hmm. um, I find some branches that are all twisted up from the year prior, right? Like we're at, okay. at this time frame, like right now, where you find that, you know, that main hub scraper, maybe like just outside of bedding. And it's mm -hmm. not, you know, the ground isn't quite torn up, but you can tell it's a really good scrape maybe last year. Mm -hmm. um, will yeah. you Will you dive into that spot and like maybe like paint a picture for us like, what exactly you're looking for on like the branches um, if you're in that good area and like what you do from that point going forward. Uh, well, like I said, if we're going into an area, 
and uh, it's got everything working for it. It's got security cover. It's got terrain advantages. Um, I'm really looking for trails going in and out of the area, uh, rubs around the area, you know, where everything kind of just like gels together. And I find that, that, like I said, that, uh, that scrape, even if there's no dirt work there, you have to notice the finer details. Like you said, if I, you notice the licking branch, how many licking branches are on, how high up is the licking branch broken off at? That'll give you a good size. Uh, I was going to idea of the size of the deer. Yeah, make, can you break into that a little bit too? Like, is, what's the importance of that? Of the licking branch, or how yeah, the height of it? The height of it. Can yeah, break that down for me. Well, I mean, in my bugged out mind, uh, it's got to be a larger deer in order to break a, a licking branch. That's pretty. That's over your head. I, I've seen it before, right. and I've gotten good good bucks on cam. Uh, uh, doing that now, you know, is it a one all? I mean, there's no absolutes in in hunting right. or with deer, but in, just in general, that I had thought in my brain occurred that if that licking branch is up over my head, I would think that's probably a, a better deer. But you know, I've seen uh, younger bucks get up on their hind quarters and or on their hind legs and and put their face in branches and and uh, twist them up a little bit, but. Uh, yeah. yeah, if I find that real twisted up licking branch and se- or several of them that are on that same tree, I'm keying in on that. The first thing I'm going to be doing is looking around for the trails. Which trail? Like I do small circles out from that scrape to find the sign. All right, so what can I add together to this spot? You know, that scrape is one. All right, one plus one equals two. Okay, the trail's there. There's deer shit around. They're, men- they're spending time in there as well. Um is the trail going, what's the predominant wind? Is it north? You know, say if it's a, a northwest wind, is there an east-west trail where that scrape is, you know, or above that scrape? Or I should say not above it, but uh, or above it or to the south of it so they can wind it, you know what I mean? Once I start doing small circles out from that scrape, um, if the wind's predominantly, we'll just say out of the northwest, well, I'm going to go uh, to the south of that, into southern of the whole southwest southeast southern area to look for an east-west trail that might cross that you know across that wind so they can win that that scrape um and at that point you know i can start picking out killing trees if i'm going to kill him when he tries to you know win that scrape or if the situation leads to where i have to hunt directly over the scrape because it's again there's no absolutes it's always situational uh i'll be picking out killing trees to where i could shoot to that scrape but uh, once I get all that stuff evaluated, then I'll go about doctoring up the scrape and then putting a camera on it. Um, but it, 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 all, it also tries, uh, like I said, when I'm doing them small circles out, I always try and think about where potential bedding might be as well. So in relation to that scrape, you know, I always try to get a direction of travel. I know there's an east-west trail where they may win that scrape, but is there any north-south trails that are coming up to that scrape? I mean, y- you could go down a pretty big rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm trying to get some more good, uh, like generic a little bit, not to, not to make it sound like that, but like good information for them to be looking for right now or like, where they can really be setting up their cameras, you know, and setting up some of these mock scrapes if they need to, or like, I guess I want to get on the line. Like what's better to set up a good, 
giant mock scrape in an area that you can kill? Or do you focus on finding like the bedding area and then finding the scrape from the previous year and then go off of it? I prefer going after uh, overmarking scrapes, finding those, uh, finding those areas where I, I suspect they may prefer bedding and then, you know, work my way out from there and find those big communication hubs and then yep. go at it from there. Uh, again, if you're going to go at the mock scrape approach, the times that I use mock scrapes, and again, it's, is it for inventory or is it for drawing a buck out? Uh, if I find that real big intersection deep into, uh, into security cover, a real big intersection of trails, I'm going to go ahead and put a mock scrape up on that because I know eventually you're going to be, you know, naturally going through there and bumping that, you know, bumping that licking branch because I have it all sent it up. So they're going to naturally take that over. And, uh, or if I'm trying to draw a buck out of that security cover embedding, if I know there's a particular buck that's frequenting that area and I have a pretty good idea of, you know, the general area he's bedding in, I'm going to put a mock scrape right in his territory where I know that wind's going to carry to that bedding area and smack him in the face. And he's, you know, he's going to investigate. It's going to trigger a curious response or a territorial response. And, you know, you're going to get him on camera and it's going to keep him guessing uh, who else is in this territory here. And even if that mock scrape brings him out of that five extra minutes a day, that five minutes may be all you need to kill him. Right. Let's break down what you're putting in these scrapes. And is there any time in the year where you're ramping things up? Like, let's say, closer towards the end of October, are you dumping estrus in any of these at times? Uh, as far as scents go, you know, it's the same as, as it was on the last episode. I'm using preorbital gland on the licking branch. I'm using forehead gland scent just above that. And then I'm using interdigital in the actual scrape itself. As far as any other scents, as the season goes on, I'm utilizing uh, tarsal gland. Uh, I really haven't been, you know, so lucky with uh, doe estrus, to be honest. I, I've hit and miss with that. But tarsal gland, I've been getting a lot of good responses. Usually, like, mid-October, I'll start adding tarsal gland in and... Uh, you know, I got a lot of good reactions out of a few bucks last year that just went totally insane and tore up the entire area after I caught a whiff of that tarsal gland and the scrape in there, you know, okay. in their core area. Especially, now, exactly. now, one thing I did want to add in is when I'm making these mock scrapes or even adding uh, another licking branch to the overmark scrapes is, you know, some people will just break the limb off. Well, what I've been noticing is, yeah, you snap the limb, especially in a drought, everything's dry. Sometimes that limb will break right off. Or if you snap the limb, it, one or two whacks with the rack, you know, he twists that right off. There you're licking branches down on the ground now. So what I've been doing is, obviously with rubber gloves on, I'll start twisting the branch. Mm -hmm. Twisting it like a buck would as he's like, you know, twisting his antlers in it. Right. And I find it'll get it to hang, but it's still, it's actually a lot stronger and it won't get ripped off yeah. as easily You'll so just like, into like a vine material kind oh of yeah almost uh, like right. that but it's actually held up a lot better and if there's an area that i make a mock scrape and 
let's just say there's no real licking branches to be had, I'll go ahead and break off a laurel branch and then I get zip ties and I'll zip tie to a, a branch way overhead and I'll just make like a chain like a zip ties and let that laurel branch free float. Yeah. And uh, generally that just gets their curiosity. And then when they get close enough, they smell the scent, then they start depositing their scent on it. Right. That's what I've been. Attempt, I'm going to attempt to use some ropes this year. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, it kind of is like a science project just to like see how they handle it. Last mm-hmm. year, I attempted a, uh, a hemp rope that I had. Yeah. That I got from, uh, I believe it was a uh, black widow. Mm-hmm. They had some, um, it was almost like a piece of like a, a gear tie that had a hemp rope attached to the end of it, mm-hmm. like a brush almost. And dude, they, I left it up all season here at the house and those deer just literally have hit it the entire summer. So hey man, like, if I've they've established, I mean, a pretty dynamite scrape that these deer use all year long. Yeah. If they're responding good to it, go with the flow, man. Like I said, uh, you know, you I, I kind of might have an off, like an, a, a bad effect at all or no? No. I mean, it, if it works for you, go with it. If the scent's working for you, if that rope's working for you, go with it. The only reason why I don't use ropes around here and, and or drippers or anything like that, we have a shit ton of bears and, Anything that looks out of the ordinary for bears, they are going to investigate it. And if I have a rope, I've always I've used ropes in the past, and they just pull the freaking thing right off it, right off the branch. Or the dripper, <laughs> they, they the dripper, they get up, they freaking rip that right off. I've had fishers steal my my dripper bag already. It, it's that's so crazy. You know, yeah, yeah. But bears in this area are a big thing, and that's why I gotta I try to play it as natural as possible. And yep. that way I don't have as many run-ins with Teddy. So, <laughs> Oh, I, what's, what's your thoughts on the drippers, dude? Do you think they're bullshit or are they, are they worth it? Cause I, it, I'll be honest. My opinion is they're kind of like a sales pitch kind of gimmicky kind of product, but yeah, I, just I mean, was curious. I, I, I was hardcore into the drippers there for about two or three seasons way back. And, you know, I saw some, some interactions that you know made me believe in them that okay but it wasn't i wasn't seeing it wasn't the biggest bucks you know that were really responding to the drippers i had big bucks pass in front of it but really didn't pay no mind but uh as far as drippers go i kind of shied away from and that's when i really just focused on tarsal gland uh to get the best reactions during like mid-october uh, as, as long as I keep it as natural as possible, uh, I found the best results that way. Like I said, I, I don't, I don't use any synthetics. I use, like I said, that, uh, Smokies, which is like 100% as glandular secretions. And I said, in, in my opinion, I've had very good success with them responding to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see. And I use Smokies and I had success with it in certain places. And then mm-hmm. other places I didn't, and it could have been my fault. I don't know. Sometimes, like, uh, listen, I'm like, not saying, I'm not saying it's not gonna, it's gonna work well, everywhere for well, me. For me, it. But. Yeah, the, here's the where I was going with it, and I think it's really interesting. And I don't, I can't put a a, a nail to it, like why it works here and there, and not other places. But 
for me, I was using a certain, uh, I think I was using the Black Widow. Uh, mm-hmm. They had like their paste or whatever that it was, like the gel. Oh, the branch butter. Branch butter. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I had phenomenal success with it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it seemed to, you know, get deer fired up fast and they were hitting it uh, repeatedly. For mm-hmm. uh, And then I, I, you know, had a friend of mine use it and he had zero, like, response to any of it. Was it because he didn't understand how to use it properly or what? And then that's where I get back to my point. Like, did I not use the Smokies properly in a certain area? Maybe it was just a bad area because it was on public and there was too much, you know, human traffic. That's uh, that's a good possibility. I I was going to break into that, too, when you mentioned about putting up mock scrapes. And don't go overboard if you're putting up mock scrapes, because to be honest, you mean you put a lot of sign in area other people are going to notice i mean if you're especially i mean if you're hunting public yeah you're gonna you're gonna end up highlighting your spot so that's why i like overmarking more so than making you know yeah, mock. incognito yeah nobody yeah. actually knows unless they see your camera sitting over it, it i guess but. exactly <laughs> i i really i really try to play it safe with that like i said that there, i've seen guys well, one guy came across last season, me and my brother scouted earlier in the year in January, and we found a, a dynamite spot. There's three big giant scrapes underneath this pine tree, and then 10 yards away, there was another giant scrape underneath a, a laurel brush, and we were going to come back and put cell cameras on it, doctor them scrapes up in, like, August. We came back, and some guy had ropes over every single one of them and then had another giant rope by itself uh, underneath a mock scrape and then a mineral pit right in the middle of it all. And a cell camera over top. I was like, yep. overkill much, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yep. We, uh, you know, we've seen it. Everybody, I feel like you put enough time in, you're going to come across something like that, but it's that guy I know, heard everything I in a, in a story. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said that it's like that gir- guy heard everything on a podcast and used it all in one spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know Logan had a funny story. He he was uh he had a camera set up. It was a non cell cam, uh, I'm pretty sure. And next thing you know, like he made a nice mock scrape. Like it was already a, a good uh, you know, a decent scrape and he, he worked it up pretty good and then here comes another guy, puts a ground blind in like ten yards away from his scrape and <laughs> a cell cam and like uh, put a cell cam right like within 15 feet of his camera i was just like blown away by that but it happened to me today is, yep yeah ha- ha- happened to me today i went uh checking <laughs> my cameras that i had soaking since late may and uh went in there and you know this area i'd been hunting for several years there were four cell cameras all within a couple yards of uh uh my sd card cameras yeah. and on a one was on a, an actual scrape, one was on a half-ass mock scrape. This guy tried to make, and then uh, the other two were literally like ten yards away from my my SD card cameras. I got the I got people on camera, and you could tell they never even saw my cameras there. I put them up, you know, higher, right. but uh, still, it's, it's always it, cool. that, that the one the one scrape uh, story that I keep coming back to in my mind. Uh, it was really interesting, like just letting it sit on video there all year and seeing how many people like, you know, an older guy might walk right by and then he comes back and he's like, oh, shit, 
you know, and you can just watch them ponder in video, like, oh, damn it. Like, and I've, I've seen one guy, like, try to attempt to climb the tree, and then he couldn't climb it up, and I'm like, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. But I had a... I had an instance this today with a, a camera and I, I came upon this big scrape on an old logging road and there was an actual rope. Uh, I don't know if it was the hemp rope or something, but there was an actual, it was an old rope that was in the middle of the scrape. It looked like a bear torn it off. And I just tossed it to the side. I'm thinking that rope was pretty moldy. And I, I just thought to myself, ah, it didn't look, I looked around, I didn't see any climber marks, I didn't see any stands. I'm thinking to myself, ah, maybe it's just a spot, because that's pretty far back. Maybe they just abandoned it, and it was just an old an old spot. So I said, screw it. It's a big signpost rub on the pine tree, and it was a big, giant community scrape. So I doctored it up, and I put a camera about 10 yards away from it, about 10 feet in the tree. And uh, I went to check it today, and the, the rope was hanging back up. I'm like, oh, boy. I'm like, I'm expecting my camera gone. No, my camera wasn't gone, but the guy uh, put a stick behind the camera so it was pointing up in the air, and he'd put his cell camera right on the tree next to it. So, you know what? You know what? I I can't be mad. The guy had the opportunity to really mess with my camera. He could have stole it. He could have smashed it. He could have just taken the card. But, you know, again – I thought the place was abandoned. I thought he wasn't in the air. The guy wasn't hunting it anymore, you know, and clearly he was. So I gave him the respect. I just waved at his camera, took my camera and, you know, left the area. He didn't mess with my camera and he had the opportunity to. And, you know, I tip my cap to that guy, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, I feel like that. And that's awesome etiquette too, man. Like I, I, uh, I respect that a lot. I think there needs to be more of that. Instead of these guys that just, you know, oh, there's another guy in my spot. It's like, look, man, you got to you gotta know what you're getting into before you get in these woods. Like, that's going to happen to everybody uh, at some point in time. Yep. And it's better to find out now before season starts uh, than when you're, you know, then burning a whole day or burning, you know, a few sits when you could be putting them in a more valuable area. Absolutely. Um, for some of the guys that might not know, I mean, how many cameras are you typically running in a year? Oh, I get worse and worse every year because I'm such a camera whore. But uh, to be honest, um, this year is 49. Um, but I've been, do- <laughs> I've been doing a, a more different uh, – I you know how I always scout a, a year ahead. So I have – yeah. Like nine cameras. I have like eight or nine cameras dedicated to an area that I'm interested in hunting next year. I'm not going to touch those cameras till after the season. Uh, I'm not even going to hunt that area until I get all the intel I want out of it. Um, but this year I've been like carpet bombing areas with cameras. So I find an area with a lot of sign in it. And then I just, I do, I guess, like it with the scrapes. I just do little circles. And as I find sign, I'm putting cameras here, 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 and here. And if say I have like 15 cameras in one area, I really like, if I get that same buck on six or seven cameras, okay, now I have a potential travel pattern. I know his loop coming back to the scrape that originally started all the information off of, you know what I mean? So if I can go ahead and get a pattern down or just like, you know, uh, a timing on his loop, how many days he come, it's taken him to come back or to hit each camera or, you know, figure it out from there. 
um, it gives me a better chance to get on that deer. Yeah. So that's why I have so many cameras out because I'm experimenting with that idea. See if it pans out for me this year. And so far, the cameras that I pulled, not today, but yesterday, I had uh, the same big buck on four different cameras. And I, I can see a pretty distinct pattern going. And it, it's, makes, it's making me question uh, what he's doing because he's traveling with the wind in certain spots, which... You know, well, you know I, I actually listened to another podcast recently of like uh with I think his name is uh Bronson Strickland, you know, from mm-hmm. MSU Deer Labs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they did like a study on the correlation of wind direction and deer and mo- like if they move using the wind. And of course, you know, we all know yes, like deer use the wind, but but not all the time. I think yeah. uh sometimes, you know, we as hunters kind of overlook and overthink stuff. Um, Giving them too think, much credit. Yeah. I think when you get, you know, especially the kind of hunting you're doing and you're getting into these super tight core areas of a buck, sometimes like that dude is just comfortable, man. Like he's not, uh, he's not worried. I, I don't think sometimes sure. like they get comfortable enough where they'll just move around, you know, freely from this spot to that spot and check where they feel like they're really safe. And when you're in that yeah. core zone, and I'm not, that's not to say that deer's not going to use the wind, that, but I'm yeah. saying there's going to be times where, you know, he might not, if he's, if he feels really safe and he has no other reason to, you know, to have a worry. You know, you just, just said about, about it being tight quarters. It's really thick laurels in that whole area. So it, he might be forced to travel that direction just because there's yeah. limited, limited routes he can go because of how You're thick right. it is. Right. So that, you know, that's a great, thank you for bringing that up. That just made me think. think It's it's good for you, dude. I mean, realistically, like you find where you could maybe take advantage of them as far as access goes and and get her done. I mean, Mm -hmm. man, I'm uh, sorry for all our listeners out there. I'm like getting uh, clogged up. Uh, Got a little bit of a cold going on here, but it's uh, always like that, man. It's always this time of year in between the heat and the cold. But oh yeah, the switchover will get you. I'm ready for the cold. Screw this heat. I hate this shit. Uh-huh. I'll be honest. I am 100% agreeance with you I on am, that. I'm ready to smell some fresh tarsal glands and uh, yeah, <laughs> and go go hit it up, man. I mean, let's get into that a little bit. I think this year okay. for me, maybe like, and maybe you can relate to this. Um, my approach is a little bit different this year than it has been in the past, as far as running cameras and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I, you know, I mean, I feel like when you get to the point, like, especially I think you can relate to this. You already know as much scouting as you do, you know, some of these good areas that you've got. You're like, all right, I know where the bedding is. I know where this ridge is. I know how it lays out. Maybe instead of me, like worrying about even diving in and putting cameras in there this year, maybe on a high probability day, like a good front or, you know, a good, right after a rainstorm and you're like, all right, well, I haven't checked out this area. Let me like just cruise in there and scout my way in. And you find like, you know, a giant rub that's fresh or you find a fresh scrape and just throwing a sit in there. I think, I think a lot of times, like maybe we tip off some of these really big bucks. Oh, absolutely. To get a picture, right? Absolutely. I I agree. 110%. And you know, that's kind of like, 
uh, you know, a fault of mine because I have to have that, you know, actual visual confirmation that he's there. And maybe in future seasons, like I said, I'll have three years of hardcore intel on this area. So I might not even run cameras in there that, you know, in the future, just because, okay, I know it's a legitimate good area producing year after year after year. So like you said, I may not even have to go in there and I could go in there under less pressure um, and like throw a first sit, like you said, after you find the hot sign like that, because that is your best chance. Absolutely. Yeah. Because some of the biggest deer I've killed. Yeah. Some of the biggest deer I've killed or even seen have been off of circumstances like that. You know, even, even deer that I've never even killed. It's like, you know, you're seeing slobs like the, the deer that we're after that you don't seem to see on camera, but you can go and throw a sit and you can actually see that bug. Your scenario. Never... Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, good. I'm listening. The scenario you just described, like you said, uh, after a rain or a front moves in and you know, the area is good. There's, you know, and you go in there and you find the hot sign, you throw a sit. The first sit you've been there all season. You haven't even gone in there scouting. That's always your best sit and my dad's been preaching that since i've started hunting and that was like the back in the days that that's the truest form of running and gunning mobile hunting my dad always back in the day preached scout your way in you find the good sign you set up in here it's always your first sit is always your best sit you know and that was back when he started hunting in 19 early 1970s with with the bow so i mean yeah, that that is actually uh, a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I've I've really been reverting back to it because that's kind of how I grew up hunting. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, like I feel like you're really just complicating this shit, and it doesn't need <laughs> to be that complicated. And I know that a lot of you guys listening right now are probably like, well, Justin, what do you, you know, what if you go in there and you smoke a 150 and there's a 200? I mean, you are right. Like, there is that possibility. Yeah. But, but I don't know, man. I think at the end of the day, like, if you're, it just makes it more exciting to me. I feel like last year I got really stressed out because I didn't have anything to go after. You know, I remember. (laughs) Yeah. And one of my older buddies is like, well, I don't run cameras, but I've killed plenty of big deer. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, and I'm, I'm looking at him and he, you know, it's like, he's like, well, I went out today. I seen a giant, you know? And I'm like, yeah, you know, it, it is what it is, man. Like when you're just hunting fresh stuff and you're scouting, I think, I think that all of us, uh, after a while, you'll kind of get a feel for what a big buck lays down versus a, a decent buck. Like, you yeah, kind of, you get that, oh shit feeling when you see mm-hmm. When you see a, a hammer lay down a rub versus like, you know, a one twenty or something. Yeah. Um I don't know. That's just my my perspective on things. You know, you know what? I just want to make I, it more I, fun. I I just want to get really, back to having fun. That's at the end of the day. I like your idea, to be honest. I honestly it's making me rethink some things. Like, like I said, this year I have a lot of information I can go off of. I already know where the deer are cruising and whatnot. I have three years of information on them. So maybe I, I will pull back all the cameras next year and like you said, just just scout my way in and hunt the hot spot. I think I think you're you have a solid strategy with what you're doing. You're but, and I and I really like it too, because you're learning how deer use an area unhindered. That's you know? 
that's kind of like you're getting, why I'm doing it. Yeah, you're getting that knowledge. You're like, all right, well, the, all these deer daylighted, you know, on this camera and that camera on November 2nd, or they started heating up like around, you know, early October or whatever. Uh, you know, every little patch of woods is different, man, like that I've learned over the mm-hmm. years. It's like, yeah, some, sure. some spots hold them early, some spots hold them late. Um, it's all situational, but it's our job as hunters to figure out when the deer are using those patches of woods. I mean, I don't think there's any patch of woods that a deer is going to stay in the entire season, right? Like we need to figure out when they're there, when they're moving, like they're not just going to stay in the one little tiny area the entire year. Maybe very rarely. I'm not saying that's not a possibility, but that's kind of rare. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, let's just face it, even if there's a mature buck that's hunkered down and he feels very safe in his little tiny patch, it's only maybe a couple acres, at some point in time he's going to have all those, I mean, there's only going to be so many does in there if uh, you know the buck kill ratio is good and you know if the buck kill ratio is out of whack, he really doesn't have to leave per se. That Those are those situations where, okay, if he has 15 does there, you know, if your buck kill ratio is all crazy, you know, Really, why does he have to go looking for Tang if it's right there in front of him? But yeah. if your buck ratio, right? yeah, yeah. If, if your buck ratio is you know properly balanced, he's going to have to move. Once those right. does are bred, he's gonna have to move. He's gonna have to go searching. So, deer have two things on their mind: surviving and getting some ass. Absolutely, and I feel like. A lot of guys kind of talk smack and be like, oh, you know, this guy's just a rut hunter or blah, blah, blah. I personally don't care anymore. I'm kind of over worrying about what, to Who me. Gives it? We, Who gives a yeah. shit if he's a rut hunter or not? Who cares? We, we're here to capitalize on movement, right? And let's yeah. all be honest. They're moving a lot more late October to November. Oh, absolutely. Know? So it's a no-brainer. Uh, I mean, to tie everything back together, man, like, I think, you know, if you were if you were coming to Kentucky right now, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the beans are just starting to fade out. What would your go-to approach be? Uh, you know, you're hunting like ag country. There we're not talking just uh strictly hardwoods like you're used to hunting. It's a little bit different. Yeah. Are you going to focus more on putting scrapes maybe towards bedding and right on the like maybe right on the yeah, field edge like in some certain areas or will you stay away from a field edge honestly i'm going to start staying away from field edges because a vast majority of that scrape activity is going to be at night um if i'm if i'm working scrapes it's going to be back towards bedding uh as those beans start to fade they're going to start favoring mass crop i mean as soon as they start turning yellow the deer hands off until you know after after the season's over in the winter and they go after them again in the winter. But, uh, yeah, as soon as they turn yellow, they're going to be back. And it depends if, what other mass crop is around, but as soon as the beans turn yellow, they're going to be off them bean fields and they're going to be focusing on mass crop. You're looking at your white oaks. You're looking at whatever's falling on the ground. Persimmon maybe down your way. I'm not too sure about that. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent. Um, yeah, when they fall, yeah, they're they're just starting to fall right now, and that's that's one thing that really trips me up, and I haven't gotten a good grasp on yet. Is like, what mm-hmm. does deer favor right now? Uh, if they're yeah. hitting 
hitting the persimmons because there's just so many of them here. It kind of screws things up. It's hard to it's yeah. hard to isolate that food source. Yeah, like you said, uh, there's oaks and you know, there's different types of oaks. White oaks are big favor more than red oaks. Uh, is it because there's more tannin in them? And the tan the tannin there's more tannin in the the red oaks, which makes them last longer. Uh, and I, I believe it makes them more bitters, from what I heard. And the white oaks don't have as much tannin in them, in them, which doesn't make them as bitter, but it makes them more perish. They perish a lot sooner. They spoil quicker. Okay. And, and uh, you also got to look at chestnuts. If you can find chestnuts, man, they're going to be on them like oh, like yeah. gold. I so know, I feel like they're more popular or more prevalent where you're at versus here. From talking, uh, with, I know from talking with Tim last time, I know that. Like it used to be a huge thing where you're at. Now they're kind of like wiped out from that disease or whatever. Yeah, from the the chestnut blight, you'll find chestnuts uh, that sprout up from the you know the roots of the of the old ones, uh, but they only get to a certain size, and uh, they don't when they get to that size, and then the blight starts to kill them. They don't. It's not like the the old chestnut oaks where they're massive and they have big giant bumper crops here and there. And it's like, you'll have maybe a couple dozen chestnuts fall off one particular tree, maybe even less. But, uh, so that works in our favor a little bit too. Cause if you can find, uh, like a little patch of where there's, you know, some chestnut trees that are not quite at that age where they're going to get attacked by the blight, you know, they're, uh, you can you can hone in on them because the deer are going to favor those first over the white oaks. Actually, are you so, familiar with any of the uh, like? Do you guys have sawtooth oaks where you're at? Sawtooth oaks, uh, chestnut oaks. Is that what you guys call them, chestnut oaks? And, and does the leaf look the ones, like a? It the has ones like that some... I'm talking about, like they've almost got like an extra little like uh, they're super big. They're huge for one. But then they'll have like an extra little ripple almost off of the shell. That's like if you've got the actual acorn nut and then you've got like the cap on top, it'll mm-hmm. be way more uh, almost look like there's moss on it, kind of. And that's hmm. why they call them a sawtooth. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I honestly, I, I'm, that's beyond my fortune knowledge. That's okay. a question for Tim. Yeah, but, I know. Uh, I know. Um, well, I just noticed like. I've picked up on a couple of spots that have these sawtooth oaks mm-hmm. and dude, I feel like them, those deer just for one, uh, maybe I'm just lucky and I found like a, a massive oak tree that just produces more crop than anything else around there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it, it's just been a dynamite food source for these deer and like a couple chunks that I, that I've hunted. And I wasn't sure if you guys had them there and like, if you were familiar with that, but, we're kind of going down a rabbit hole with with oaks and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it's to be more of a, yeah, more of a scrape thing. But you know, yeah, if we're well, talking early season food sources and scrapes. That's kind of what this whole, you know, yeah. Uh, the first uh, early season, like I said, as soon as those beans uh, start yellowing, uh, find the alternate food source. That's where they're going to be headed. But uh, as far as scrapes go, you're going to be going. Uh, Closer, I always stick closer to bedding with the scrapes. It's okay. uh, always been the go-to for me. I stay away from field edges. 
because let's face it, especially if you're hunting public ground and you're, you know, around field edges, guess what? Every Tom, Dick and Harry that walks along that field edge is going to see that same scrape. So the further you get back in, the better, you know, the better you're off you're going to be from seeing a deer standpoint and getting away from people's standpoint. And, uh, hmm. See, that's really like up. the secret that you've got to try to escape escape traffic of other hunters and, and really benefit yourself by trying to get away from where most people are at, find these deer that aren't quite as pressured. They're going to come out there in daylight a little more often and making yourself, making scrapes is just going to make it more patternable for you and beneficial for you to hunt. Um, Let's wrap this up with like, how can our listeners set up the perfect scrape that they can kill over? Right. Like if you're going to set up a mock scrape, paint that picture for us where you're, you're going to set up a scrape to kill a giant. Right. Maybe if you can just make a scenario, mm-hmm. I know that's okay. a, kind of a broad question, but I feel like that'd be a, a good way to end this. Uh, first things first, locate that, uh, that potential bedding area. Like I said, you're going to, uh, chances are the buck's going to have, several bedding areas that he prefers but if you can get on finding like you know hard run trails into security cover and if you come across a big track big track usually means a heavier deer not necessarily a big rack but it's going to be a heavier more mature deer three by three or bigger it's going to be a mature animal like i said um you get in there you find you know telltale bedding the big kidney bean shape you know obviously big bed big deer um once you get in there and you start finding out, you know, okay, which way is the traditional wind blowing? You go ahead and take that into account. Okay, how is that wind getting affected by the terrain in the area? All right. Once you get that, get that nicked down, you go ahead and, all right, here's his travel routes coming in the bedding area and getting out of the barrier. Find his escape routes even just in case you bump him, then you know which way he's going to go out. Um, I tend to, once I find that information out, I'm going to set up that scrape to try and draw him out. Now, if I know he's in there, if I know he, he's in there on certain days, I'll set up a camera. And if I get that camera that you're going into that bedding area on certain days, I'll note the wind. I'll note obviously the time, the wind that he's using that area. And then I'm going to go ahead and set up that scrape accordingly to to draw him out and I will set up my, my, you know, I'll look for a kill tree to go ahead and work off of that. But that's the picture. Perfect is okay. I've got the bedding area located. It may be, you know, a hundred yard long piece of, uh, ground on top of a ridge where it's super thick, high stem count stuff where he's going to have visual advantage and he's going to have the thermals and the wind working for him. So I try to play it, put it in my mind. This so guy, you start, you start with that, like yeah. start with your bedding area, how you can access it and mm-hmm. what wind you're going to hunt it on. Right. Exactly. And then I go ahead and then I work my way out from there and I find the best spot to put that scrape. I'm not just going to put it, in the middle of nowhere, I'm going to look for that particular trail to put mm-hmm. it on. That way, you know, it doesn't seem out. Cause if you put a scrape out in the middle of freaking nowhere, it's going to be a little bit strange, a little out of place. In my well, opinion, you, I, 
Will you set it up right on the trail, or are you putting it just off so he, like he can't? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it right on the trail, so it's gonna be right in his nose. Okay. You know, say if say he comes by that area, he's gonna he's gonna smell it. Even if he gets, even if he comes in from a different trail and use that bedding area, he's still gonna catch the wind, uh, uh, the scent of that uh, that scrape, and he's gonna come down and say, "Wow, it's right on this trail." You know, it, it's if it's off. I said, if it's out in the middle of nowhere, it to me, uh, that just seems off. Uh, if I put it right on a trail, like I said, he's not just the only one that's going to be bumping into. Other deer are going to be bumping into it and putting their scent on it as as well. So that even makes it more credible, I guess, if you as, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I was just kind of curious if you try to look for like maybe a bend on the trail or. Intersections, yeah, so, intersections generally are like yeah. the 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 thing I spot. I I try to spot for. It's just you know. I, it, I've really like kind of taken a an approach, and I kind of really I've really uh, respected a lot of guys. I feel like that do this have the similar mindset that you know running scrapes just like this is just like running a trap line. Yeah, trapping and, trapping them. Troy Pottinger. Uh, Exactly. And, yeah, exactly. And, you know, when you look at how you trap a, a coyote or a fox or whatever, you're setting up your traps on those transitions of the corners of mm -hmm. where those deer frequent the most. So it's like high probability spots. So, yes. I mean, that's just really, you know, in a nutshell, like what you guys really should be trying to focus on when you're looking at making these spots and you know, making it, making your scrape hunting a more high probability odd that you're going to come across it. And one good thing I could say to, you know, the listeners and whatnot, if you're, if you're just getting into this whole dabbling in the scraping thing, um, yeah, run a few cameras. You, you're not always going to find uh, that uh, big giant hub scrape. Yeah. Uh, Run it over. It, it, the hub scrape isn't always going to be right next to bedding. They're going to be. Uh, let me try and word this correctly. I've had scrapes that are only like two feet, three feet long that were just communication hubs themselves. It's not the big giant like car hood scrape size ones. Those ones, if you do find them, obviously put a camera over them, but don't overlook the small scrape, like the three foot scrape that's in the perfect spot. That's what I'm trying to get at. It's not all scrapes are created equal right, in that sense. I guess uh, my, my best producing scrape last year was only like a two three foot scrape that was right on the edge of, of security cover. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was on a hard run trail coming between two rocks. I mean, I got a bunch of mature bucks out of that, but Run, run, run cameras on a lot of different scrapes. You're going to eventually come upon one that's like, a, like this year, the one that I didn't expect to have the most action turned out to be the key hub for me in that area. And I actually put a cell phone camera on it today. So no, you, like I said, you hit the nail on the head with that is you guys, just like anything, like it, it's, you're not going to, you know, hit a home run your first time up to bat. No, you, no. You need to, uh, you need to just get this and try it. And the more that you're looking for this stuff, you're going to come across, you know, 
that main hub or that main, you know, that primary scrape. And you're going to, you're going to understand right away. You're like, okay, I think, I, I think this is it. And you might be wrong the first couple of times. Cause I know I've been there last year, you know, after learning about, uh, you know, picking up more and more information, like I found a couple of primary scrapes that I just kind of wrote off at the time. And like, you know, I have a good base knowledge and it's like, nobody really knows everything, man. I mean, you just, no, gotta, you just gotta do it and, and learn, learn as you go. Uh, you know, yep. don't, don't, uh, put too much pressure on yourself. Like, you know, obviously it's a lot easier to pick up on a scrape, you know, mid October into November than it is right now. So, Mm-hmm. but you guys out there getting a jump on things right now, if you haven't is a optimal time for you to, to really let your cameras get in there and soak. And maybe you don't need to hunt these spots right off the bat. It's like, you just want to get your cameras in there for inventory. Um, and learn, le- yeah. learn what they're doing. Like watch right. what the animal's actually doing. Like I said, um, I'm, I, I, I'm far from removed. I, I'm far removed from being an expert on this. And I've done a, um, I'm going to watch my language. I'm going to do, I've done a shit ton of trial and error, but, uh, I, and I'm still learning things. Like I said, it, it, you're never, like you said, you're not going to hit a home run every time. It took me years of screwing things up to really come across, uh, key scrapes. Like I said, the one that I got this year, I sat back and I went, okay, so why is it that they are coming here? And, you know, this is drawing all the all the biggest bucks in the area to this spot. What what about this spot makes this better than all the other scrapes I have that are only 50, 80 yards from here or 100 yards from here? So right. that makes you think, okay, then you start putting all your other knowledge together, okay, with travel and wind and everything else. It, it makes your brain work. Yeah. It's going to make know. you a lot more efficient scouter especially on out-of-state trips, the more you do this stuff and the more you learn in your areas when you're on an out-of-state trip or even hunting new ground that you haven't hunted, uh, you know, local in your state, it's just, it's going to give you that reassuring feeling that you're in the game. And, you know, that's what confidence kills. So I think that's a perfect spot to end this one, dude. Um, Yeah, brother. Travis, I appreciate you so much joining us, dude. I know, uh, I know this one was kind of short notice, but, um, man, I appreciate your time. I think, uh, I think this one went great for those of guys out there, uh, you know, just finding out about you, what's the best way to, to get in touch with you if they have any questions. Uh, just follow along on IG and, uh, Facebook at anthracite, anthracite antler addicts. And, uh, I also have a YouTube page. I'll be having more videos popping up here soon. Uh, yeah, again, anthracite antler addicts. Give me a follow along, curse me out. I don't care. Now it's all, it's all about having a good time and uh, helping people get into the outdoors. Absolutely, dude. Uh, couldn't agree more. Travis has some awesome uh, gear and swag too. Uh, you guys got to check out. He's, if you couldn't tell through this podcast, he's got a good, uh, good sense of humor and uh dude just <laughs> enjoys, enjoys having a good time and laughing. So Check out their page if you're not following them. Uh, it's a great, great guys, all of them, and uh, can't thank you enough, dude. We look forward to uh, catching up with you soon, and uh, can't wait to have you out. We're gonna have some fun in Kentucky here in a, in the next few weeks. So, no, I'm looking stoked, forward brother. To that. 
Yes, sir. Well, that's a wrap, folks. We'll uh, catch up with you all next week. Thanks for having me, bud. Thanks again for tuning in this week, y'all. Hope you all enjoyed this episode. I really did. Uh, definitely stoked to get out in the woods and start making some more scrapes and uh, do some scouting. For all you guys that are just getting your seasons kicked off this weekend, good luck to you. I wish you nothing but the best. I want to uh, give a huge thanks to our sponsor, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. If you guys uh, are looking for anything to up your game and be a little bit more efficient, more mobile, check out LoneWolfCustomGear.com. They've got a ton of great products. If you guys are looking to get a little extra edge and uh, hone your focus this year, check out Timberwolf Supply Company. They have got some awesome products. The Ranger Sticks are an awesome way to just give yourself a little mental edge and uh, promise you'll enjoy them. We're going to close today's segment out with a quote. I'm not sure who the author of this one is, but I really enjoy this, and I think it's a great way to kind of start the season off. Don't be pushed around by the fears in your mind, but be led by the dreams in your heart. Hope you guys go out there and pursue those uh, pursue those dreams, man. Get out, you know, plan those trips that you've been uh, putting off. You know, the time is now. I'm getting ready to go on a, a trip of a lifetime that I've I've been dreaming about, and I'm no different than anybody else out there. Uh, you know, I just took the time, I made it happen, and uh, really looking forward to it. Uh, if you guys have made it this far, I'm. I'm not really sure if we'll be able to get another episode out for next week. I'm not going to have any service, so I'll be offline, but uh, really appreciate you guys. We have got an awesome lineup coming up, so uh, be sure to stay with us. Uh, we're, we're really stoked to uh, get back in the studio and knock out some of these podcasts because uh, we've got some great guests coming up. So that being said, guys, hope you have a great weekend. Wishing you nothing but the best, and we'll catch you next time.